Welcome to the Emerging Revolutionary War podcast. Emerging Revolutionary War is a public history platform that explores all aspects of the Revolutionary War with up-and-coming historians and connects this history to the places where it occurred. We strive to make it fun and engaging for all audiences. We have a blog and website, emergingrevolutionarywar.org, where you can check out frequent blog posts and history articles by numerous historians. In addition to our blog, we are active on social media. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We host an annual symposium that takes place in Alexandria, Virginia, and we now also host Battlefield Bus Tours. We also have the Emerging Revolutionary War book series, published by Savas Beattie. To date, we have four titles out and more on the way. These books offer a brief, readable, and illustrated narrative and include self-guided tours of the battlefields. So far, we have books on Lexington and Concord, Trent and Princeton, Monmouth, and Valley Forge. Check them out wherever books are sold. We always offer speakers that can talk about a range of Revolutionary War topics, and our historians have been featured in places such as C-SPAN, American History TV, and Fox Nation documentaries. Make Emerging Revolutionary War your home for the 250th anniversary of America's independence. This show is filmed live every other week on our Facebook page, so if you'd like to watch these live and have an opportunity to engage with us, check us out every other Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern on our Facebook page. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everybody, for joining Emerging Revolutionary War for our weekly happy hour on Sunday night. We started this at the beginning of the, uh, the COVID shutdown, and we've had so much fun doing it. Um, we figured we'd keep going, and we've had some great uh, interaction with some of our viewers. We appreciate you guys joining us. Hopefully, you've had a good weekend, and you're sitting back with a good beverage. I'm having a Old Dominion Gold Leaf tonight. Um, I'm not sure what my friends are having, but they can introduce their drinks as they speak. Um, tonight, um, we're going to do a little bit more pop culture. We've had some pop culture uh, happy hours the past uh, month or so, and tonight we're talking about movies and uh, TV shows of the Revolutionary War era. So we're going to do French Indian War for our friend Billy here. He's a French Indian War fan. Um, we even go up to War of 1812, if anybody would like that. Um, but we figured we would do this because every week when we go online, our great friend, Jeff Black, who uh, is one of Mark Malloy's good friends, always brings up the Patriot. And we figured, Mark, we would just dive right in Go ahead and make Jeff happy if he's watching. We'll just go ahead and let you jump off, Mark, and start talking about Mel Gibson and the Patriot. Because <laughs> I, I know it's your favorite. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, Jeff Black, he just had a baby uh, this past week, so I don't think he'll be watching tonight, but we'll see. <laughs> um, not dedicated, not dedicated. <laughs> But uh, yeah, now you see my background. I got the the Patriot up there, and uh, I feel like it's uh, every historian I know. Uh, it's everybody's uh, favorite movie to hate. Um, <laughs> it, uh, a lot of crap they pile up on the movie, and uh, you know some of it's warranted, some of it's not. But uh, generally, I, I I'm a fan of the movie, and I think I'm a fan of the movie. For a couple reasons. First of all, it, it, for me personally, it came out in what the year 2000 uh, is when the Patriot came out. Uh, this is when I'm uh, about 16 years old at that time. So this is uh, like in high school. <laughs> and uh, it's a big blockbuster, big screen uh, movie. 
I kind of got the real Hollywood treatment. The first and really only uh, Rev War feature-length film, I think, that's gotten that kind of uh, major uh, uh, production value to it. Um, and I got to say, uh, uh, watching it as a 16-year-old and seeing the action scenes and all that kind of stuff, it really made the Revolutionary War uh, much cooler than it really brought you know the history off of the screen uh and it got me interested uh and i think that's probably one of its greatest values uh down the road is i think it's got a lot of people interested in uh not just the revolution in general but really the revolution outside of just george washington uh and the northern theater i mean going into south carolina and having the battle that happened down there uh and so I don't know uh, for for as far as getting people interested, I think the movie is, is fantastic. And then for as a reenactor and somebody who has done living histories and has done interpretive events for people, it has you know at least at least you know fifteen years to to ten years ago, it was the touchstone. So you could have a group of kids and say, "Have you ever seen the movie Patriot?" And at least half of them have seen it, so you could then say, "Like, okay." You saw how you could use it as a touchstone where you could also like uh, uh, meet people with something they could understand. Uh, in addition to that, I think the movie's great because I think it's uh, it shows how violent and how bloody the war was. You know, so much of the revolution people think the powdered wigs, the romantic paintings. You don't think of you know a volley being fired into a group of men and guys getting shot all around you, people hacking each other with bayonets and axes. Uh, a cannonball taking a guy's head off, which is probably one of the most iconic scenes of the, of the movie. Uh, I think those kinds of brutalism uh, in the movie really brought that, uh, an important aspect of the war out, which is it, it was a very, very bloody, messy war. It also showed you how loyalties went on all sorts of different sides. You have the loyalists, you have the British, you have Mel Gibson, who really just wants to stay out of the entire thing, but is kind of dragged into it, which an important part of the story because there are a lot of people in the colonies that did not want to be involved in this war when armies are marching over their properties all of a sudden uh they become involved now everybody's going to bring up you know putting all the civilians in the church and burning it to the ground and they're going to bring up these atrocities uh, that didn't happen on that scale uh but atrocities did happen during the war people's homes were burned civilians were killed uh, uh not quite in that same uh, way, but uh, you know, I, I, that's Hollywood taking their literary license. All the movies we're going to talk about tonight, all the different miniseries, television shows, all that stuff—they're all going to be using uh, uh, artistic license, uh, and so this is no different. Um, so, anyways, generally, in my opinion, I think that the Patriot really kind of, uh, uh, for all of its flaws, and believe me, I've heard pretty much every argument of all the flaws. <laughs> Especially, I mean, this is, yeah, reenactors sitting around a campfire. The movie comes up a lot. I know reenactors are involved in the filming. Uh, and I've heard, uh, you know, a lot of people complain and gripe. Uh, but the one thing is everybody's seen it. Um, and uh, like I said, it provides that touchstone for a lot of people. You know, I, I have to agree with Mark in a lot of ways. I mean, I even dug out my uh, special edition extended cut of The Patriot. Uh, so I'm right on board there with you, Mark. I mean, I can remember seeing it in the theaters. And I think you touched on a lot of salient points, one of which is the level of violence that's depicted in this film. I think it really helped to dispel a lot of that romanticized myth of the American Revolution. I mean, although the, the American Civil War, you know, almost 100 years later, 
uh, does have some of that that romanticized myth to it. I, I think it's more so in the American Revolution. And I think one of the the aspects of that violence that um, it, it pays tribute to uh, it ties into another Civil War topic, which is the movie Glory. You talk about that that iconic moment in in the movie The Patriot, where the you know the cannonball takes off the the head of that that soldier. And if you, you think about the opening scenes of the movie Glory, how Glory kind of set off this this touchstone moment in cinema for Civil War films uh, with Ken Burns and then Gettysburg and and so on and so forth. I think the Patriot has that iconic moment as well. Not only does it harken back with that cannonball scene, but it also kicks off a, a whole host of interest in Revolutionary War uh, topics and films in the early 2000s. Um, so I would, I would definitely a, a agree with that as well. So I, I knew Mark was going to bring this up tonight. And full disclosure, uh, for those who don't know, um, Last last November, a bunch of us in ERW went up to Lake George and had a great time. And on the way up there, we watched the Patriot in the minivan we took. Um, and sadly, we knew uh, all of us knew every line. So I have to admit to that. Um, but I did some research really quick about box office numbers. Right. And I think Mel Gibson, we could debate Mel Gibson for a long time about other issues. But Mel Gibson's is really known for more Braveheart than he is the Patriot. But I just realized this Braveheart that came out in 1995 only made 213 million, and The Patriot, which came out in 2000, made 215 million. So it actually, it did better in the box office. Now, of course, you have five years difference, but it did. It was a better box office hit than Braveheart. Of course, Braveheart is also like 10 hours long. So hey, um, that Braveheart. has <laughs> an amazing film that also has all these historical inaccuracies. I heard it there too. And I've heard the criticism too that the Patriots is exactly the same movie as Braveheart, right? In America, so uh, yeah, and it's Mel Gibson killing British soldiers, uh, uh, similar to Braveheart. <laughs> um. <laughs> you know, it's the only the only reason I'm on this call this evening on on this uh, is because I'm the only Ohioan. You know, to fulfill the the uh, one moment in the movie The Patriots. Tell me about Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, but Dan, let's be honest. The only reason you're on this call is because Phil was tired of doing these calls every <laughs> Sunday night. <laughs> but hey, real, real quick before we jump on, uh, keep going. I mean, one of our uh, watchers, Dennis Martin, brings up a point that I was going to bring up about the scene with the family and the enslaved people on the beach there along the coast of South Carolina. He, he calls it, looks like a Jimmy Buffett concert pre-party. It is very, you know, rosy. In that, in, in that portrayal, so yeah, yeah definitely idealized. Yeah. I think that is uh, one of the primary criticisms of the movie is uh, the way slavery was uh, a pretty much sidestepped entirely, uh, almost to the point, yeah, where they show them all living happily on this uh, beachside resort or whatever. Um, but uh, uh, to their defense, uh, you know. When they were doing trying to figure out you know okay this is going to be you know this plantation owner benjamin martin uh by having him if they made him a slave owner uh all of a sudden in hollywood circles he cannot be a hero in the film uh and i think the you know the recent um uh statue destroyals and all that other kinds of stuff that's going on in the country is showing uh really how you know people don't like their history complicated um they really like it very simple uh, so the simple way to make Benjamin Martin a hero rather than go into 
a complex character who was both a slave owner and fighting for the American cause. And you can still root for him in the film, but still understand that he uh, was involved in the institution of slavery. They just said, you know, just say that they were uh, free people working on his uh, farm there. And yeah, they took a total sidestep of that entire issue. But uh, like I said, I don't think an American audience is able to uh, really kind of get the nuance uh, and try to, in two hours, have a film where you're rooting for Mel Gibson's character and also make him a, a slave owner. No, but I think they also touched on another aspect uh, that ERW had a, you know, a, a great um, revelry, uh, which was that of African-Americans that served in both armies. Uh, during the war and you know the patriot although it was you know almost like a subplot to the story at least touches on that aspect as well so although you're not getting that development of the entirety of not only slavery and african-american involvement in both armies you are getting a nod to the topic hopefully provoking audiences to to dig deeper and, and look further into those stories that's true i did kind of i, I didn't mention yeah the occam character uh yes a slave person who joins with the, the American cause. And they do show some of that, you know, some of the, the patriots not liking, uh, you know, one of the characters, yeah, not wanting to, to arm him and, and things like that. And then by the end, how they, have, you know, of course, uh, you know, come to the agreement that, uh, that this is a good thing. Um, and at the very end, the last scene, yeah, they're, they're rebuilding the house, which I think is supposed to be like this metaphor of them building the new nation um, here, you know, former formerly enslaved person who had fought on the American side and then the, the other uh, patriots, including the one who was the bigot, uh, who is then all of a sudden reformed and, and on his side. There they are building the new nation. I think that's kind of how they, how they end it, tie, tie it all up with a, a nice bow at the end. But they do show, when they show that the, uh, or the free people who are working on Benjamin Martin's farm are taken by the British, later on in the final battle scene you do see some african americans in the british ranks um uh which is kind of interesting that they show you know some of them are go uh, going into the british army at that time as well so let's um uh, let's shoot it down to billy who um of all four of us has is the only one that has a new book that just came out over his uh left shoulder there a handsome flogging battle of monmouth courthouse highly recommend it um so billy I think you're going to take us to the French Indian War. I'm just guessing. Yeah, real quick to comment on, on the Patriot. Um, my earliest memory of the Patriot, I saw it for the first time when I was in third grade. And if you remember, uh, this is the time when everybody is switching over from VHS to DVD. So this, is actually, this was actually the first, I believe, one of the first, if not the first movie that my family actually watched on our new DVD player. And that was really my first real introduction visually like that as a teaching tool to the Revolutionary War and what got me hooked on that. So again, back to just how and movies are so important because they can, you know, introduce people to these various subjects where they might not offer, you know, take a or find a book and, and pick it up and read it. But if they can see it on the big screen and they're entertained by it, you know, they might catch the bug and it might, even if the movie's historically accurate or not, it still might force this person to then gain an interest to go and learn more about the subject. And also just on the point of the, yeah, that was my first DVD too. <laughs> I wish that was happening. Uh, but uh, uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie is the musical score, uh, which is done by John Williams. Uh, yep. And it's fantastic. I think it ranks up there with all of John Williams' other greatest hits. Uh, 
but it's always it's still on my car you know when i'm driving to a historic site or whatever i got that playing so you know, is following up on that comment, Mark, one of the interesting things is John Williams did an interview shortly after the movie came out about the soundtrack. And he said one of the hardest things, it was one of the hardest soundtracks he's ever written because he wanted to create a, a main melody or a main theme that did not capitalize on or did not retread any of the typical revolutionary war type songs, you know, such as such as Yankee Doodle. So coming up with with something that was memorable, but didn't roll out some of the musical tropes of the, the 1770s um, created John Williams, you know, the composer of Star Wars and Indiana Jones, all these these huge, huge soundtracks and movies. Uh, provided him with one of his greatest challenges. So that interview's out there on the web. Definitely look it up if you're interested in, in how John Williams created uh, the soundtrack. I'll check it out. You know, another interesting thing I heard is that uh, Harrison Ford was originally offered the uh, the, the role of Benjamin Martin, uh, but he turned down the role because he said he read the script and he said it boiled down the American Revolution to a revenge story. Um, which is kind of interesting because I, I think he's right about that. And actually, when you watch the movie, as far as like the causes of the war, uh, makes up I think a very small part of the of the actual uh, movie. Um, and it's also interesting too when you think about the title, "The Patriot." And you have a big picture of Mel Gibson on there. Uh, Mel Gibson re really wasn't the Patriot in this movie. It was really Heath Ledger's character, his son Gabriel. It was the Patriot, and uh, it was uh, uh, Mel Gibson's character, Benjamin Martin, doesn't, you know, come up to uh, becoming a Patriot until after, uh, you know, he's reluctantly drawn into it after his house is burned, and his, you know, a couple of his kids got killed. Um, and so, I don't know, I think that's interesting to think about. And I also think it's interesting, back to the historical accuracy, uh, that they, they gave them all fictional names. So it's Benjamin Martin. It's uh, Tabington, uh, you know, they're all, you know, they, they fictionalize these characters uh, rather than do it, make it Francis Marion or Thomas Sumter or any of these characters. It was kind of a composite of all of these, uh, which I thought in the long run is actually great because, you know, if it was Francis Marion or whatever, people would have a very incorrect view of now i'm gonna i'm gonna pivot back to to billy for a moment and, and please do because we've got 20 minutes on the patriot, patriot. oh my god we should just have this on the patriot alone and jeff black's not even watching and this is so disappointing <laughs> but go ahead dan you know so billy said that you know this was that the first movie he had seen on dvd or third grade so probably about about 10 years old and i can only imagine what's going through you and your parents mind as they're watching you know, Mel Gibson take his his hatchet and axe and, you know, down the trail and having his kids, uh, uh, you know, help him rescue his his family members. But I think one of the things I wanted to touch on that scene, uh, Billy, before I, I let you take over is is how it kind of reinforces one of the mythologies of um, really how Americans or colonists fought the American Revolution. And I'm um, Rob, uh, you touch on this in, in your book on Lexington and Concord. It's that that moment in the film where they're, you know, Benjamin Martin and his kids are almost fighting like, you know, Native Americans are fighting Indians hiding behind trees and, and picking off officers and things of that nature, kind of almost bringing to life that that idealized version of the road of the British from Lexington to Concord so early in the film, The Patriot. But I can only imagine, Billy, you seeing that with your parents in the third grade on DVD at home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they encouraged it. They, they always encourage my interest in history. 
And uh, I definitely remember recreating uh, the scenes where he is trying to res rescue Gabriel. Uh, I had the fake fake wooden axe from medieval times. I was using that as a hatchet against the Redcoats. Um, but yes, my, my favorite movie, probably of all time, definitely. Uh, it was a movie that got me really, really, really hooked and introduced to uh, the French and Indian War. And if, when you say French and Indian War movie, I'm sure everybody knows what movie I'm going to say because there aren't many out there. Is of course uh, the the last of the Mohicans, the Daniel Day Lewis version, not the one from uh, the early 20th century, because uh, that one is awful in my opinion. Um, but the last of the Mohicans, obviously based on a novel from the early 19th century by James Fenimore Cooper. Uh, I think it is a fantastic depiction. Uh, we talk about the brutality of the Revolutionary War in the Southern theater. This is really the brutality of warfare in North America in general during the middle to latter half of the 18th century, especially uh, when you're dealing with the Native Americans. And uh, its, its main focus is obviously a romance story, um, but the battle that it's really... Uh, centered around is the siege of Fort William Henry, which anniversary we just had uh, at the beginning of this month uh, between August 3rd and uh, August 9th. And then August 10th is the anniversary of the famous massacre of Fort William Henry, where those British and colonial troops who had just surrendered to the French are leaving the fort and they are attacked by the French allied Indians who feel betrayed by the Marquis de Montcalm, the French commander, that they have not gotten their loot. They have not gotten their trophies and now they're going to take matters into their own hands. And that's probably one of, I think one of the greatest scenes in, in military history movies is that massacre scene as well as the siege scenes. Okay. Uh, they, for this movie, they rebuilt a uh, $1 million replica of Fort William Henry just to burn it to the ground and destroy it. And, and the siege warfare scenes in it is probably the most accurate depiction you'll ever see on the big screen of 18th century siege warfare. It's really, it's phenomenal. Uh, even though the massacre itself is really blown out of proportion where basically everybody is killed, uh, not true. And in fact, they have all of uh, the 35th Regiment of Foot, the British there are getting attacked by the, the French allied Indians. It was actually mostly the colonials who were with the British there that were being attacked. The men from Massachusetts, from New Jersey, from Connecticut at the rear of the column, not the front like they depict in the movie. But uh, just just thinking about it, I know we watched that as well on our, our way up to Lake George in preparation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the scene, and the scene right when the Indians are in the woods getting ready to ambush this British column, and all of a sudden you hear that war whoop. It really, yeah, it's it's it sends like chills up and down your spine. You can't even imagine what it would be like to actually hear that in real life and know what is obviously coming next. And then all of a sudden you see some rush out of the woods and these individual pops of musket fire. It's just, it's, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's an awesome scene. It really is. And lastly, well they have some of the best quotes uh, throughout the whole, the whole uh, movie. And I think they do a great foreshadowing of really showing how this empire conflict going on on the frontier just foreshadows the American revolution like crazy. Uh, you know, I think it's a, uh, uh, when one of Monroe's daughters uh, is saying, you know, the faster the, the French guns blow the British off the continent, the better it will be for these people here. Like, yeah. I mean, pretty heavy foreshadowing. And then, you know, it's interesting now, I'd be interested in if there's a director's cut of Last Mohegans that came out. Um, I think it's been controversial for some people, because I think some people like it, some people don't. 
But at the end of the director's cut version, there's a scene where uh, uh, I forget the, the the older Native American guy's name is, but he's standing there looking over the thing with a uh, Hawkeye next to him, and he says, you know one day, you know, more people, uh, white men will move in here and they'll live their lives and blah, blah, blah. And it kind of like foreshadows this, you know, westward expansion. And he's like, but once we were here, that's how he ended. And I thought that was so cool from a historian's perspective because, you know, whether it's, you know, Trenton or, or whatever else, you know, you can go to places where the world has moved on, but at one time, these uh, you know, very important people who had very, you know, interesting stories once uh, occupied these places where now. So uh, I thought that was so cool. Now, Billy, you brought this up, so I've, I've got to ask. You brought up that, you know, Last of the Mohicans, unlike The Patriot, is based on a book by James Fenimore Cooper. You know, there's the age-old question, is the book better or the movie better? Now, I can remember, you know, being inspired by the movie to go out and pick up Cooper's book and I think the first chapter is like 20 or 22 pages and it's about a tree. And I'm like, man, this is just going to take too long to get into the, the heart of this. Uh, so I was, I was a much bigger fan of the movie than Cooper's work of early 19th century writing. What's, what's your opinion on the book or movie? Uh, I've never read the book either because like you said, the first 20 something pages or so were about basically nothing. And remember this is actually, it's only one uh, work of an actual multi-volume story known as the leather stocking tales uh but this is the one that focuses on the french and indian war and um yeah i i, I remember I've, I've done obviously kind of some spark note reading on and uh just trying to find you know what were the differences between the movies and books and i believe one of the, like the weirdest differences that they they chose to to change in the movie was the reversal of monroe's daughters who in real life didn't even exist mm, but um right. you had allison cora cora was the one who was with Daniel Day-Lewis, Nathan or Hawkeye, and then Alice was with uh, his, his Native American brother. Uh, they were actually reversed in the book for some reason, but then in the movie they chose to put Cora with him and then Alice with with the brother. I don't I don't know why. I never found any reasoning for that. And that rule isn't always true. I always look at Jaws. I don't know if you ever read the book Jaws, but I read that and watched the movie, and I think the movie's way better than the book Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like the Patriot though, Last of the Mohicans has an iconic soundtrack as well. Oh yeah, it's a great soundtrack by uh, Randy Edelman, same guy who did the Gettysburg soundtrack. And we looked at that the whole way. We were driving up around Fort Doors. I mean, I just yeah. get renewed. <laughs> really like five dorks riding in the van listening to history soundtracks and movies on the way to Lake George. Sounds like a great time, Mark. <laughs> Well, for those who follow us on Facebook, we'll be doing it again this November. Not sure where, but we're doing it again. Hell come high water. We're going somewhere. Uh, so, Mr. Welch, Mr. Ohio, as you self-proclaimed. Actually, Dan, yeah. you have brought about a good discussion about music. You are Mr. Music Man of the group here as a music teacher. So thank you for bringing up those soundtracks. So um, some early American war movies to you, sir. You know, I'm going to have to to shift away from a movie per se and get into probably the the elephant of the room when it comes into television or miniseries, you know, and that would that would definitely be John Adams. Um and I and I think the reason I I go with Adams is because 
it covers such a wide swath of history in a short number of episodes. I believe it's only, I think, six episodes in all. Um, but you really go from, you know, causes of, of the American Revolution, grievances of the colonists, uh, all the way up through, you know, the Declaration, through the post-war years, through Jefferson presidency, you really get this whole package of the revolutionary era uh, before, during, and after. So I, I'm going to have to go with Adams, and, and not only am I going to have to go with Adams because of that, but uh, as the music guy, too, I'm going to have to go with Adams because of the soundtrack. And, you know, I know for you young whippersnappers out there, you're like, what's that thing? All we have are MP3s. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, if I can't get it on iTunes, I don't know what it is. But, um, yeah, the uh, the soundtrack, I think, also it is, is great is a great soundtrack and it's you know one of those where when we talk about the patriot soundtrack john williams huge soundtrack composer we talk about last of the mohicans randy edelman not only did he do uh, gettysburg but a whole host of other films rob lane who did um the score for john adams really doesn't have a whole lot of known uh compositions out there or known soundtracks out there so you know, John Adams for him is this, this really this big moment in, in his career. So um, musically, historically, Paul Giamatti as John Adams, I, I think you just can't go wrong with John Adams. Oh, yeah. yeah. As a Emmy Award winning extra in the... <laughs> uh, I do have to say it's pretty epic. Uh, so yeah, so I was actually uh, going to school at William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia, when they're filming this, uh, and there's all this buzz because Tom Hanks uh, produced this, and this is, I think, shortly after Band of Brothers came out, so it's kind of like there's a lot of buzz about this new miniseries. And uh, yeah, they were at they were filming uh, the scenes uh, that take place in Cambridge uh, when the Washington's army is up there. It's actually Colonial Williamsburg, the public hospital there, uh, and they were looking for extras. So me and some of the other college company, William and Mary people went and, uh, you know, spent a couple days uh, on the film set. Uh, you could see me briefly in the background of one of the scenes. Uh, you look closely. And, uh, but it's funny because it's actually, it's interesting to see how these productions are made. I mean, it is intense. I mean, they have, they put so much money into this. It was like a 70 degree fall day, I think, or spring day when they were filmed it. And we were all, you know, pretending it was like snowing. They had fake snow over everything. Everybody had to go through makeup. They picked some people to be the smallpox victims, and they had to be in, you know, makeup for like an hour or two, and they came out just covered with pox. Uh, and you know, they make it real, you know, a lot of work went into it. Um, and I got to meet Paul Giamatti briefly, said hello to him, and who I think is the real star of the show, and that is David Morse, uh, who I think does the best. Best uh, George Washington. Best George Washington. Yep. It's like an old retired George Washington, though. He's super old. He wasn't that old at the beginning of the war. He's getting hung up in minor details. Yeah, he has the presence of Washington nope. in that series. Oh, my when gosh. He walks, when he walks in front of the Continental yeah. Congress. Oh. He has the stature, the gravitas. Yep. I mean, when I read letters by Washington, uh, I mean, it seems like it comes right from the voice of David Morris when he's you know, doing some of his things. I mean, everything you read about him, people talking about, well, he walked in a room, the room hushed, and everybody turned and stared at this guy. When, you know, they, they show that, like, when Adams is getting ready for the inauguration and Washington just walks in. And I mean, 
And then, and then when he's doing the inauguration and Washington's talking so quietly and, you know, Paul Giamatti as John Adams starts like weeping because he realized what a great man this was. And I don't know, I haven't seen it. Uh, you know, Washington was very reserved. Uh, he's very quiet. Now we can go into the Washington depictions here because Washington, you know, Jeff I have King a list. Who <laughs> uh, I know you like from turn. There are many different uh, persons, but I don't think anybody's nailed it quite the way David Morse did as far as getting across. And then even some of the things, like the minor details that he gets in there as far as, you know, he's like arguing with uh, uh, with John Adams and he stops and like his teeth are hurting. Uh, and then you just realize, yeah, he has dentures, you know, these, you see them. That's, that's called directing. Someone told him to do that, Mark. <laughs> Listen. Listen, Mark, you're not you're not going to win this argument because Rob believes that the best George Washington on film here we go is Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain. I mean, well, that Jeff Daniels. <laughs> I do think Jeff Daniels does a good job, but no, I mean, I, I like I like John Adams too. I like it's about the music, um, the intro with the flags and the music is fantastic, um, which is borrowed directly from a Civil War film, uh, the Gods opening of Gods and General. Yeah, yep. um, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but um, <laughs> but but. Tom, but Tom Tom Wilkinson to me is the star of that movie. I mean, as he's the best Benjamin Franklin I've ever seen. Um, yeah. I mean, he seems to he gets he just when I think of Benjamin Franklin when you read his biography and you read his letters and you and you study him, he seems to be that guy. Um, the George Washington, I mean, David Morris is a great actor. Don't get me wrong, I love him as an actor. I just think they have him too old. I mean, he's there in Philadelphia accepting command, looking as if he's about to die. I mean, that's not how George looked. And I agree. He was a younger, vigorous man. And that's why I like Ian from Turn, because he is a younger, very athletic looking kind of, you know, uh, energetic person who he we know he was. Um, But anyway, so, yeah, I mean, we can go all day about about David Morse. But also in John Adams, too, the guy that Jefferson, I thought, did a fantastic. Yeah. Uh, there are just so many great lines and even you know i mean me and my wife we both love the john i mean we'll watch that every year i mean just to see also abigail adams her interaction with john how they grew old and it's i mean it's heartbreaking at the end too uh you know when they pass away uh that you feel really connected and i think it, it ties up the entire the entire story perfectly with that quote by john adams saying you know if we, you know, owe posterity, uh, all the struggles we went through, you know, uh, if, uh, you know, do what you will with them. But if you don't, you know, uh, I forget exactly how the quote goes. I'm butchering it. But it's a wonderful way to tie it up saying that, you know, they spent, you know, they sacrificed all this stuff for this country. And for us to waste it would be, you know, you would repent uh, forevermore. Um, and then, you know, trying to get you to that place. It, I think it really makes you want to, it made me want to go visit Peacefield. So I went up to go see Peacefield, see the houses, go to the rocks where they bring John Quincy to watch the battle of Bunker Hill, went to their burial place to stand in between John and Abigail Adams, knowing their whole history is just phenomenal. And, and how can you be a fan of Hamilton, knowing all these great things? Hamilton <laughs> is the death knell of, of Adams. Yeah. <laughs> they, they port- Sit down, John. <laughs> <laughs> in the way I think Hamilton was much more like. There's a great scene where Adams goes in to talk to George Washington while he's talking to him. He hears a little cough in the corner and he looks behind the, the door and there's Hamilton like uh, like a, up? 
the corner there. And then and then how you know Hamilton's talking about how he's dreaming of empire. Yeah, you're either stark raving mad or I am. Uh, I think, uh, so I, I think the film did a great job. We're trying Hamilton. I think Mark really summed it up when he talks about the ending of the John Adams series um, and that quote kind of summing it up. And I think that for me is, is perhaps why it's, it's my favorite is that not only is it the microcosm of John Adams life and that, you know, the end of the sixth episode wrapping up his life, but it's also that, that macro too of really wrapping up that whole era from the, the very beginning of, uh, you know, the grievances and the Boston massacre all the way up through the country that it has become after Jefferson, after Adams, um, you know, as we move into the early 19th century. So um, that's why it sticks with me. Well, and at first I was like, I didn't understand why they were making a John Adams miniseries. And I kind of still don't, you know, it's like, it's like, you think you would do, yeah, Washington or Jefferson. David McCullough's book. That's why. Exactly. But what I love is how they tied all, you know, they used, you know, John Adams as a centerpiece and then you build all these people's stories around this one character so it's not like none of these stories aren't being told they're all being told they're just through the the prism of john adams i think it does a great job of telling many of these people's stories i think a lot of that to me mark is that john adams is so overlooked right he's vice president he's only got one term and then you know most people know who sam adams is more than who john adams because of beer (laughs) so especially on this channel right well yeah uh (laughs) Yeah, but I, I think because John, Ad, I think the the miniseries really elevated him to a certain level where people actually grew some respect for him. I think the um, I don't think it's been built yet, but there was a movement, and then Congress passed appropriations for a John Adams memorial, mm. you know, in D.C. And a lot of it's because of the attention that David McCullough's book and the miniseries got to it. So, um, uh, Mark. Real- it's hard for me to watch the, the Boston Massacre scene now without thinking of Mark on the 250th on the ERW page. To Mark had more drinks stuff. that night than probably everybody in the movie at that time. <laughs> uh, speaking of Mark, uh, someone's bringing up the crossing and since Dan brought up um, uh, Jeff Daniels as Washington. So, Mark, since you're the Trenton and Princeton guy, we got we got to go to you on this. I like the crossing. I watch it every year on Christmas. I know what's wrong with the crossing, um, but in your opinion, as a Trenton guy, what are some of the major flaws of the movie Crossing? Uh, now, again, yeah, there's there's flaws. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is, uh, you know, I talk about this in my book. My, my book, Picture Your Death, is about the battles at Trenton and Princeton. And, uh, you know, the, the, the piece of art, Washington Crossing in Delaware, has made that the center item, uh, which is really interesting because all, you know, it was an important military maneuver but i mean that's really all it was uh and so the focus of this movie is really that's the centerpiece is is the crossing of the delaware um they do a great job of building up you know just how terrible situation the american cause was in uh i think they do a great job of bringing in characters like glover and knox uh and all these kinds of uh uh you know people who are in that this important moment of american history they do throw in alexander hamilton although you know, in an incorrect role where he's an aide already rather than being with his artillery. And, and Horatio Gates, our very famous <laughs> Mark Malloy, can quote Horatio Gates <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the great scenes of the movie is showing he just, you know, ripping apart uh, George Washington's plan to cross the Delaware. 
which, you know, the, of course, this meeting never actually happened. Uh, but, you know, Gates did feign illness. Uh, Gates did go to Baltimore where the Congress had uh, gone. And he was, yeah, he was looking for Washington's command. Um, but uh, but they really make him look uh, like a real traitor in, uh, in this movie. Well, yeah, threatened to shoot him. <laughs> yeah, he tells Washington, he says, you and your colonial cronies are no soldiers. <laughs> now this revolution is over. <laughs> yes. I, think the, the, I think the problem that I have with the crossing is, you know, we're talking about the portrayals of George Washington on film. You know, the, the, the jokes that Washington makes as they're getting in the boat. Um, your fed ass Harry. Yeah, yeah. Like just not, not Washington esque. Um, the Washington that I, that I envision in history uh, is just cemented in, in John Adams. Well, yeah, no. And, and I think it's all efforts to kind of humanize Washington as a person. And, and I do think they, you know, I think Jeff Daniels does a good job of kind of getting the emotions that I imagine Washington was feeling uh, really under the skin. I don't think he would show the kind of emotions, you know, slamming his fists on the table and standing up and yelling at Gates, how dare you, sir? Like, <laughs> think Washington would ever do that um but you know certainly Washington felt these things underneath and he just you know he was much more reserved than that but I think you know as far as communicating to a modern audience I think that it does a good job of like oh Washington is just not this you know stuck up guy on the one dollar bill he had all these emotions he had all these feelings and he wasn't had his you know had his back up against the wall and they do a good job of showing the crossing and then they march into Trenton. And then I think the Battle of Trenton scene is not great. I mean, they do show the violence. They show people being bayoneted. I really wish they showed them all kind of like firing their muskets, which, you know, there's only one musket shot. And it's the one guy who somehow puts wax on his musket to make it fire and he shoots and kills Rawl. Um, which, you know, again, it's all fiction. Um, you know, there was, you know, the Americans did get in there. They were firing volleys, even though it was in a, snowstorm which of course isn't depicted either um and then but then they kind of end it right there at the end of the first battle of trenton uh i wish they would have gone on and shown you know i think the real drama is more the second battle in the battle of princeton washington's finest hour in my opinion is there princeton battlefield um you know there's so no I, there's no famous painting of that battle it's the cross it's the crossing other <laughs> <laughs> that's based on a book so this is based on howard fast's novel called mm -hmm. so i think they're you know with what they're doing and also you know the budget you know this is not as high dollar as like the patriot but for what they, what were they doing with it uh you know i think it is effective the music is really good i like the music even though it's you know synthesized it's a it's a pretty good tune they got to it and i like rob you know i like i'll, I'll watch it around christmas time as well uh that's sort of yeah my favorite christmas movie so Everybody else can watch the Christmas Carol or Miracle on 34th Street. I'll sit down and watch the cross. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Billy, let's, let's talk about Bennett Arnold's movie uh, with Kelsey Grammer playing George Washington. Uh, I actually, yeah. I own that as well. I've watched that a couple of times. I love the scene when, um, Kramer goes in, oh, I'm sorry, Washington <laughs> I'm <just kidding. laughs> goes into the, to the house, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Peggy is sitting there cowering in the floor and mm -hmm. Washington's angry, but he does kind of let her go, which um, he does in real life. So 
So give us some thoughts about uh, the Benedict Arnold uh, miniseries. Actually, it's, I, it's, just, it's a TV movie. And I've, I've, I've put it on uh, on YouTube a few times, but I can never get through the whole thing. Oh, I, come on. No, oh. but this, this is the thing I want to, yeah, to transition into the actual show that I think really depicts at least Benedict Arnold and George Washington well, uh, and that is Turn. But for me, like these mm-hmm. historic movies, um, I don't necessarily – watch them for historical accuracies and stuff like that like i'm not one of those people who likes to pick the movies apart um i'm more so watching for entertainment but the thing that chaps me the most is when you don't cast a person well or a historical character you know and you're looking at this person on screen and knowing and and reading and learning about this person it just it doesn't feel right it's out of place i think a best best examples that you guys would probably agree with uh for bad casting in like a docudrama would be in the u.s grant series we just had a lot of the confederate generals in there like they were awful like they're awful it it just it can for like a historian like it completely just deters you from the actual uh what's going on on the screen at that point um but yeah i don't like the casting in in the arnold movie i love the casting in turn we already mentioned ian uh con kane um from uh turn i think he's by far the best george washington in anything sorry mark Dude, somebody agreed with me. Somebody said on the comments I saw that they didn't like his voice, uh, which I agree. But I did. Like he was. He still. He, Who knows what Washington sounded yeah. like? I think he was great. <laughs> he, he was still when he talked. He was very stoic, but very reserved as well. Like you said, like he he was a man of honor. Uh, but he would still, you know, when he felt dishonored, he would have those outbursts in the movie, and he would take him seriously. And even though he was a secondary character, kind of. When he was on screen, he commanded that scene. He was very, very, very good. And and the same goes for Owen uh, Guillaumain, I think his last name is, uh, who played Benedict Arnold. Like when I'm reading right, about yeah. both Washington now and Arnold, yeah. those are the people that I'm envisioning in my head as, as those men when I'm reading about them. I think uh, the story obviously with, with Arnold and his treason in there, there's a lot of liberties taken to it, especially with that love triangle uh, between Peggy Arnold and, and John Andre, which obviously there's no real. What's the thing, the braid hanging off. Oh, yeah, that braid. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why they did that. <laughs> I don't know. They, because a lot of, most of the movie, like honestly, 60% of it was about romance. You know, yeah. a, a lot of scandalous romance too. But then there are some certain small things. Now you just wrote a book about Battle of Monmouth, and they Monmouth, <laughs> and like I was all excited because it was like building up to the Battle of Monmouth, and I was like, but it's just like the simple, like like they filmed it in like winter time, and it's just like you like you couldn't like schedule the filming so at least there it looked like it was summertime. I just couldn't believe, it. and like the scale of it looked so yeah, looked like a little skirmish. But, you know the the. The series turn though for me does something that that Billy talked about at the very beginning this this evening, which is how you know despite some of these things having historical inaccuracies or costuming inaccuracies or you know shooting a battle scene that took place in a warm climate versus during the snow for for turn the the character John Andre you know fascinated me and that led me to oh man you know I don't know much of his background I don't know enough of, of, of him before he comes across the pond as they say and gets involved in, in in the American Revolution so I mean that led me to go out and buy the the new biography of Andre so I think you know all of these things that we've talked about this evening 
although they have some issues, if they if they lead people to get involved and get interested and read more and go to battlefields, then I'm I'm all for them. Um, especially when you agree that the best George Washington was in John Adams. I mean, you know. <laughs> oh, Dan, who invited Dan, anyways? Um, so <laughs> let's start. We've been already talking about some bad movies um, or some problems with movies we've mentioned. I don't think, uh, and this is way before y'all's time. I'm the old guy here. But Al Pacino's Revolution movie, if you want to see a bad movie with a great actor, that's the one to go find online. Came out 1985. I've never heard one good review of that movie. I've watched it twice in my life. And, you know, I think there was, I mean, I was, I was a young, young kid at that point. There was a lot of, you know, hope for that movie because Al Pacino you know that's his heyday i mean that's yeah. that's big and it's it's horrible if you have not seen it i highly recommend watching it it's on youtube or you can get it on netflix too actually but um that's a pretty bad movie and i'm gonna throw a second one out there um a tv miniseries that i was just looking at online here that's got great reviews on rotten tomatoes and imdb which drives me crazy but in 2015 sons of liberty came out on the history channel I had high hopes for that. And oh. then as soon as I saw John uh, Sam Adams jumping from the building roof. to building with his two revolvers, I had to turn it off. And then the scene as a Lexington and Concord guy, you know, I wrote a book about that. The scene of Lexington Green isn't even close to being even oh. close to being accurate. And, and that is more egregious when it's coming from uh, the history channel. Uh, yes. You know, it's one thing when the director of Godzilla is making the Patriot and gets some things wrong, but when the History Channel is doing this stuff and getting things wrong, it's like it's another class of terrible. So I, I, I think those are type things that yeah, you can pick apart. I, Sons of Liberty, I picked that apart all day because because their whole purpose is supposed to be you know educating people, uh, in my opinion, and doing it you know through an entertaining way. But that's a that's a different era history channel you know the era of, of of the sons of liberty is ice road truckers and ancient aliens and all that stuff but like you know i pulled out of my my archives the uh the, the revolution miniseries from the early 2000s um the one year i i taught eighth grade american history i used a lot of of those mini episodes um they took a responsibility to educating more um back then Oh, yeah. Well, you got to go back a little bit further because that one's all right. That's okay. I was in that. I'm a reenactor in some of the background. How many times is Mark going to name drop which movies he's in? Well, he is an Emmy Award winning actor. I mean, is Mark, Mark, are you ever at home with your family? Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) But we we got, uh, uh, um, sorry, just, we got, go back another uh, like five or ten years before that the history channel came out with what i think is the best documentary of the revolutionary war it's a six-part uh a and e and history channel did uh which yeah. i think is better than that one because it doesn't rely so much on reenactments as much as it does historic painting things like that which for me personally i enjoy watching seeing that documentary for myself what, which episode are you in mark uh i'm throughout because that's the other thing they they recycle a lot of reenactments footage yeah, the whole series but it's all right um but uh, i you know people are asking too what would be a good right to make and i think that's something interesting to think about and one of the things i i think should be made as i mentioned with the crossing i think there should be 
about the whole 10 crucial days, like an actual movie. And there is a good one that they just came out with uh, that's played at the Mount Vernon Theater uh, in, at George Washington's home. They made it, it's a, it's a 20 minute uh, little video, but it kind of goes through the 10 crucial days, which is kind of nice. Um, but I think what would be really cool is to do kind of like a, a Band of Brothers type miniseries that follows a unit in the Revolutionary War that goes sees a lot of action. I think the 3rd Virginia Regiment would be perfect because you could do everything from, you know, New York uh, all the way uh, through to Charleston. Um, I think uh, that would be pretty cool. That would be cool. And, I, you know, I'm a big 3rd Virginia guy, but and hopefully Phil's watching. I can't tell if Phil's watching, but I agree about Band of Brothers, 3rd Virginia, but I think the Maryland line would probably be a better focus because the Maryland line is in New York. They're everywhere. They end up in Camden. They end up getting just, they're the only people in Camden that actually stand for more than a few minutes. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm a big Virginia guy, as you guys know. I love giving Phil grief about Maryland, but I think the Maryland line would probably be more fitting for a Banner Brothers type story. Or even but. like, you know, Joseph Plum Martin, uh, you know, his memoir, he goes, he's in a lot of stuff. I mean, he misses. He's like the Forrest Gump of the Revolutionary War. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he really is. You read his memoirs, the man's everywhere. True. It's true. So what other, uh, in Mark's rights, people have been asking, what are some other characters or, or moments in early American Revolutionary War era history that movies should be made about? Dan? I think there needs to be, I think there needs to be more Southern campaign related movies. You I spent a fact. half hour on the Patriot, Dan. I know. I'm, but I'm saying I hate <laughs> the fact that the Patriot is the only one that really, that really covers, um, you know, that, that is a representative example of, of all the events in the Southern campaigns. Uh, so many of the other movies that we talk about all focus on Pennsylvania northwards um, that we get really very little play in Virginia and North Carolina and South Carolina. Mm. Billy? Uh, I don't know, honestly, anything. Like, it's really <laughs> like, how often do we get something on the revolution that comes out? Once every, what, five, seven years, if that? Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Somebody mentioned too in the comments, uh, you know, with the 250th coming up. Now, somebody sent me, I think Ken Burns is looking to. Uh, yes. 2025. It's a five yeah. part series about the revolution. Uh, but, like, yeah, is there going to be, is Hollywood going to be looking for some of these stories? That, you know, I heard that uh, Philbrick's uh, Bunker Hill was supposed to be. Yeah, Ben, ben Affleck and Matt Damon were supposed to be involved in that. They bought the rights to the story. But yeah, I'm wondering as we start gearing up for the 250th, if there's going to be more Hollywood interest in telling some of these stories. Uh, it be interesting to find out. It's, it's uh, fitting if Ben Affleck and Matt Damon bought that, you know, with the town, you know what I mean? Like, how thick are the accents going to be in that movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> Mandatory I, subtitles in the theaters. And I think, you know, really... Um, I think the Yorktown campaign, because you have, you know, movements up, up in New York, you have a naval battle, you have a lot of things that happen right for the Americans in the Yorktown campaign, right? Keep in mind, I mean, you know, these guys take a week to communicate and things just happen at the right time for what happens at Yorktown to end up happening the way it does. And I think that's a great story. It ties in Washington. 
Um, it ties in some of the other famous characters that people may are, are aware of in the revolution. So I think you got to trust the French, trust the French, trust the back to the Patriots. I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> you wish that they would focus on something like that. And when they, you know, mess it all up on the big screen, you'll be complaining about it for the next 15, 20 years. About the stuff they got you know, but, but I, but I think there's, there's a lot of stories out there that, you know, where the the old saying of you know the, the the truth is stranger than fiction there's so many of these incredible stories from the american revolution that that are already written in history that uh, wouldn't need much that i think uh, american and international audiences would be drawn to watching yeah um one movie i want to we're almost out of time here but one movie that no one has mentioned that's one of my favorites and mark will know it i'm not sure if dan or billy would know it it's the longest running movie on the big screen it's been on the big screen since 1957 mark you should know this movie story of a patriot (laughs) shown at colonial williamsburg i watched that movie as a young kid and i if i get a chance to get a cw i always try to make a chance to go see that movie it's got jack lord as john fry it talks about how uh virginia house of burgesses is, is debating about what to do it shows the scene of washington breaking the walnuts there at raleigh tavern with his bare hands and it shows virginia as always mr malloy leading the way to uh push the colonies into independence and it's, it's still on if you guys ever get to go to clone williamsburg dan no you go there occasionally uh catch the movie it's the longest running movie in america wow so uh, real, real think- quick uh, I, I had to step away for a minute. I didn't know if we brought up, especially for you, Rob. We bring up April morning. We did not. No. That's that great. Was, yeah. Uh, embarrassing. I did not bring that up. That's a good point. Um, Mr. Lecture Concord. Right, right. Uh, well, Bill, you bring up as a good movie or a bad movie? <laughs> um, I, I think probably one of the better depictions or yeah. better depictions of the actual what, what took place at Lexington Green. Definitely, right. especially with the Definitely. British marching onto the field. They actually looked like real British soldiers. Right. No, we did not bring that up. Thank you for doing that. Anybody have anything else they want to contribute to this enlivening discussion about the Patriot? Oh, I mean, uh, Rev War movies <laughs> and TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, guys. Um, I didn't ask what you guys are drinking. Mark, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking uh, some German Holliner Hefeweizen. And I think Billy, you're drinking your 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 regular yeah, the, the light. We really need to get Billy some beer. <laughs> um, we really need to send Billy some beer. If you guys are watching right now, just send us a message. We're gonna start a fund for Billy to buy good beer. Um, really, don't let Billy drink that kind of beer. <laughs> Dan, are you partaking? I haven't seen you have anything, Dan. I, I am. I have been partaking. Uh, for those of you that know me, I am proud to be a Youngstown native. So great I'm lakes. drinking. A solid beer for uh, a solid people. Uh, Penguin City Beer uh, is a Youngstown native beer company. Started a couple uh, couple years ago. Penguin City, after Youngstown State University, our mascot is the Penguins. So, uh, Penguin City. Well, Dan, I'll see you in a few weeks when we do our Civil War tour. Please bring some. I will. So we can, so we can try that. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Thank you, guys, for watching. Uh, I want to remind you all that we have our. ERW Symposium on May 22nd, 2021. We bumped it from this September for obvious reasons to next May. We're partnering with the City of Alexandria on that um, symposium. All the information for registration, it's $60 for an all-day uh, symposium of five speakers. 
Everything is online on our website for our blog. Also on our Facebook page, you can find the information there. The next week, Billy, what are we talking about next week? You're heading up next week. Next week, we're talking about Benedict Arnold. Now, this is a subject that comes up a lot on ERW uh, reveries, but this time we were actually focusing on his treason in particular mm. and his mm. service with the crown afterwards. So not him as a Continental Army general and American hero, but an American traitor. Right. All right, great. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight, and we'll see you again next Sunday. Have a good week.